I think you cite in some of your work something that you call the the behavioral gap, which you know talks about the underperformance of of people who have bad behavior when it comes to to investing. And and it's fascinating to me, you know, to know a little bit more about these sort of behavioral biases and and understand them them better. So just out of curiosity, I mean, tell us about so this massive challenge we as from an sort of like big picture point of view that we as investors have and, and how we can kind of overcome the the overall problem of investing and, and you know, with the bad behavior we, we often see. Yeah, so, you know, going kind of 30,000 feet here, I like to say that, you know, God or nature could not have designed a worse investor than, than you or I. Like every, <laughs> you know, every single way that we have evolved, we have evolved for, for immediacy, uh, we've evolved for certainty. We've evolved for action. Uh, and success in financial markets takes dealing with uncertainty. It takes restraint. It takes patience. It takes not listening to your gut. You know, our gut was our original risk tolerance system, sort of our, you know, our gauge of how we ought or ought not to behave. Uh, and, you know, I've made the point, I hope, rather convincingly in my in my latest book that listening to your gut is a, a, a profoundly bad idea. So, I think the first thing that we need is just a recognition and awareness of just how ill-equipped we are for this. Because I think a lot of people who have had success in other avenues, right, in other places in life, they go, oh, well, I've been a successful business person or I'm a successful parent or, you know, whatever it is. I go, I'm, I'm competent. I'm a good, I'm a good person. They, tr they think that those skills will generalize into the world of investing. And I refer to it as Wall Street bizarro world and, you know, in, in the laws of wealth, because the rules of good investing are, are almost 180 degrees of the rules of the rest of life. So uh, in a very real sense, what got you there in other places in your life won't get you to where you want to go in the world of investing. So sort of recognition about that and humility around it. And I'll steal, I'll paraphrase Jim O'Shaughnessy from What Works on Wall Street fame, uh, you know, I'll poorly paraphrase. He says something in What Works on Wall Street to the effect of, you know, the first thing you've got to do as a behavioral investor is recognize that you are just as susceptible to the same dumb mistakes and crippling behavior as the next person. And so, so many of us read books like mine uh, with an eye to sort of, oh, wow, yeah, that's totally my neighbor or my wife or whoever. We need to use this thing as a mirror and not as a window onto others' behavior. It needs to be a mirror at which we take a look at ourselves and our own behavior. Yeah, absolutely. I also heard him uh, say, uh, you know, something along the lines that, you know, we don't see the world as it is. Uh, we see the world as, as we are. And I think these kind mm -hmm. of, you know, it's very poignant. Now, of course, we as kind of systematic and, and rules-based investors will argue that being a quant is, is kind of the best response to overcoming the traps of, of human biases. But that also presents other challenges, I think, because it isn't as sexy as being like a global discretionary a discretionary global macro investor who can tell stories and make things sound very complex, which are some of the things investors really uh, are still looking for because of their biases, which they don't even recognize, as you say, that, that they're wrongs. So it's kind of a big ask to say to investors, I mean, you really need to defy human nature with all of your experience in, in this field. How do, we, how do we best do that in a practical sense? 
So, you know, I think if, if you just had to give one piece of advice for becoming mm-hmm. a behavioral investor, it would be to be a quant. I mean, that's there's there's no other mm. single thing that you could do that would get you further down the road to good behavior. However, I just had Mr. O'Shaughnessy uh, on my podcast and he he talked about the great financial crisis. You know, he he talked about investing as a quantitative manager throughout 07 to 09. And he said the thing he was most proud of over that time was not his performance, but the fact that he never deviated from his his rules. And he Mm. said in his conversations with other ostensibly quantitative managers, more than 60 percent of them. So like two thirds of the quantitative managers that he talked to broke their own rules. Right. And so. Again, human behavior worms its way in to to every facet of this. You know, being a quant is, is a fantastic hedge against bad behavior, but we have to do what Jim Simons said. You know, Jim Simons of Rintec fame said, I, you know, I set the rules and I follow them slavishly. Your rules are only as good as your adherence to those rules. So we have to try and make sure that bias doesn't enter into the the creation of those rules. And then more importantly, we have to make sure that bias doesn't cause us to subvert our own rules just when we need them the most. Yeah, I mean, I couldn't agree more. I mean, working myself for a firm that now celebrates, you know, 45 years as a systematic rules-based firm, I think that's one of the things that I take away from it. I mean, the mentorship uh, of our founder and people like, you know, Richard Dennis that I had on the podcast uh, a while ago, who, of course, was the father of the Turtle Project back in the 80s. I mean, when you hear people like that talk about the importance of discipline, you know, it, it just sits really well with you. But it also means that if you don't have mentors or people to aspire to who can give you that belief and confidence in these rules, it's really hard, as you say, not to be falling uh, into some of these traps. You know, it, it makes the case, you know, if you think about how to, at the risk of being dramatic here, you know, you think about mm-hmm. how you launch a, a nuclear weapon or something mm-hmm. like that. You have to have multiple parties sort of with their finger on the trigger, multiple points of consent to take a drastic step like that, because we know we don't want to vest that power uh, unilaterally in one in one single person. I think quant managers uh, would be wise to do something similar, like one person's moment of panic or indiscretion shouldn't be able to override the whole system. Mm-hmm. We want to build uh, stop gaps and other preventative measures in there to, to keep us from doing what is a very natural, you know, what is a very natural human tendency to to want to disobey those rules at the moment we need them most. Yeah, no, I think that's a great point. 